You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law with Kyla Lee. I'm your host, Kyla Lee, and today we have a really exciting guest. It's Ian Tootill from SenseBC. SenseBC is an organization that tries to bring sense to motor vehicle laws, so it's going to be a very interesting discussion with Ian. But first, I thought I would give our listeners an update on what's happened with Bill C-46 at the Senate. For those of you who've been paying attention, Bill C-46 is a piece of legislation introduced by the Liberal government that, uh, among other things, purports to completely overhaul impaired driving law in Canada by adding random breath testing. That is, removing the constitutional right to be asked to provide a sample on the basis of a reasonable suspicion and a demand made forthwith into a roadside breathalyzer and make any driver at any point eligible to be randomly screened. I presented uh, expert testimony at the House of Commons Justice Committee and then subsequently at the Senate at their Justice and Constitutional and Legal Affairs Committee and uh, explained why, in my opinion, random breath testing is unconstitutional and likely to be struck down by the courts. In particular, a number of the concerns that I identified to the committees were the negative impact that it would have on racialized minorities, particularly Indigenous and Black uh, populations who historically in this country have a history of being stopped by police, uh, the carding that we've seen happen in Toronto, uh, the high rates of random stopping and, and police brutality involving Indigenous people in Saskatchewan, just being examples of something that is really widespread throughout Canada. Um, the impact on racialized minorities is not the only problem, however. There's also the concern that the legislation is simply inconsistent with what, what the Supreme Court of Canada has said repeatedly about breath testing, that it is a violation of Section 8 of the Charter, which is saved only by virtue of Section 1 and by virtue of the fact that there are the reasonable suspicion, the forthwith, and the use immunity requirements. Because Bill C-46 purports to eliminate two of those three requirements, and the third is already eliminated by virtue of our administrative scheme in British Columbia, it's a huge concern about unconstitutionality. And although these charter challenges do result in some delay in the sense that they take time in impaired driving cases, which do occupy a significant amount of court time across the country, the number of challenges raised to random breath testing and the way that that would negatively affect the court systems and court delays by having challenges at various stages tying up our courts for at least a decade before the matter was heard and then decided by the Supreme Court of Canada would have a far more significant impact on court delays. And with there being very clear jurisprudence from the Supreme Court of Canada in the 80s and in the 90s and in the aughts, it makes no sense that random breath testing would be found to be constitutionally valid. After giving this opinion to the Senate, uh, Senator Denise Batters quoted me uh, in a Lawyer's Weekly article uh, and stated that uh, my testimony on that point absolutely dismantled uh, Professor Hogg's analysis on random breath testing. 
and it seems that the senators were persuaded by the testimony of myself as well as numerous other constitutional law experts and criminal uh, lawyers throughout the country, all of whom shared their concerns with the Senate. So last night, they voted to remove the random breath testing provisions from Bill C-46. It's absolutely fantastic news. Mitigated, of course, by the fact that Jody Wilson, the Minister of Justice uh, and the sponsor of the bill, came out today and said that they're just going to put it back in at the House of Commons. So uh, maybe nothing ventured and nothing gained, but uh, at least we have some recognition from the Senate that this is not something that we can accept in a free and democratic society. And I, I do applaud our senators for taking a bold position because nobody wants to take a position. It's not politically advantageous or, uh, you know, beneficial to anybody. I know, I read the angry tweets that I get. Um, It's not advantageous to anybody to take a position that appears to advocate for impaired drivers. What the Senate is doing, however, is taking a position that advocates in favor of charter rights and the established constitutional norms of this country and the principles underlying a free and democratic society. And I'm very pleased with the decision of the Senate uh, in this vote. And I hope that uh, Jody Wilson's comments today are uh, just um, angry puffery and don't manifest that way. We do have a Senate for a reason. Their role is to provide sober second thought on legislation where uh, where politics might otherwise get in the way of making good decisions. And I think the Senate has very clearly done the job that they are supposed to do very well in the decision that they made uh, with respect to C46. So I'm, I'm incredibly pleased and also very happy to make that announcement uh, on this podcast today. So without further ado, let's talk to Ian Tutil. So with me is Ian Tutil from Sense BC. Ian, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Kyla, it is my pleasure. <laughs> um, so I guess I, I want to start, I think probably a lot of people who listen to this podcast already know all about you, and they're probably starstruck, but... They do. Uh, <laughs> you're famous. You're the, you Infamous, probably. The yeah. voice of reason for driving law in this province. Thank you. Um, how did you start the organization? Well, actually, I uh, moved back to, I, I grew up in West Vancouver and left for about 10 years, lived in Ontario, lived in California, drove uh, in Europe and moved back to Vancouver in 1994 and noticed that speed enforcement in British Columbia was insane and also noticed that there was a heavy amount of advertising for speed is killing us mm-hmm. at that time. And so I started making some inquiries um, at, uh, you know, with my local politician, with the media, and uh, phoned up a guy named Neil Hall at the Vancouver Sun, who was a crime reporter at the time, and really said that this, this speed is killing us is nonsense, because my own research told me that that actually wasn't the case. And he said, well, you're not going to like what's about to happen. They're going to launch photo radar in BC. So... <clears throat> That that sent me insane, and I went to the library and did a bunch of research and um, got a call from uh, one of the one of the newspaper editors. I think was the Vancouver Courier asked me to come and do a, uh, an interview. They featured me on the front page, and Rafe Mayer had me on the radio, and then people started coming out of the woodwork, and we had a group. That's Good. Yeah. Awesome. And you guys ultimately were, I think, responsible for getting rid of photo radar. 
Well, um, I don't like to take full credit for that. There's a couple <laughs> of people who have been taking full credit for that. I like to think that we were instrumental in changing some minds about photoradar. Right. And, uh, you know, we were a catalyst for sure. Um, and I like to think that we were really the first opposition to it. Um, but, you know, ultimately somebody who's elected has got to make up his or her mind uh, or the body's got to make up its mind that mm -hmm. that's what's going to happen. And uh, thankfully, the B.C. Liberals in 2001 were convinced that that was the way to go and they agreed to do it. And that's what they did after they were elected. OK, so you had 2001, the B.C. Liberals doing the right thing when it came to driving. Yeah. And then there was... 15 years after that where everything went to pot. Yeah, well it, it didn't uh, right away go to pot and there's been some bright moments in, in BC but um, what happened after 2000, you know we opposed photoradar on a philosophical basis, you know there, were, there was a sort of a semi-libertarian underpinning to the <laughs> way that we viewed things and I say we, it was initially me a guy named Michael Kane, who's who's our director of research, um, a, a, a guy who's now no longer with us, named Ronald Niven, um, who is a co-founder, and some other people. Um, we opposed it based on uh, the fact that it was just wrong. Now I've completely forgotten what I was going to talk about. Thank <laughs> God this is a casual interview. Where were we going with this? Uh, I'm rambling. Where where things went to pot? How it all right? Went. So. Um, you know, we had a philosophical underpinning, and it was supported by a, an awful lot of fact-finding and research. And, um, you know, the BC Liberals, we, we, we really presented it to them that there was a political gain to be had mm -hmm. for them uh, in opposing it. We watched what happened in Ontario in 1994. Mike Harris ran. He was a conservative politician that ran on the uh, platform. One of the things that he ran on was unplugging their photo radar program. And we showed uh, Jack Weisgerber with the BC Reform Party and Martin Brown that, um, you know, they agreed with us. They ran on it. And then, of course, when reform merged with the BC Liberals, I think Martin Brown and Jack and some other people had, you know, a fair bit of influence in the Liberal caucus. Right. And they agreed it's the way to go. So they ran on that platform. But what ha but the problem was they, they unplugged photo radar, but they didn't unplug red light cameras. They, they mm -hmm. didn't agree to do a speed limit review, which we said was essential because part of the problem, you know, when you're, when you're, ex when you feel that everybody is exceeding the posted speed limit, you've got a speeding problem. Um, and you, you don't address the speed limit itself, which yeah. we think is the problem in many cases. Um, you're still going to have people exceeding the speed limit. You're still going to think you have a problem. So they, is your, because I think a lot of people are, have a misconception about this, is your organization opposed to speed limits? No. No, okay. No. So, you know, uh, driving nirvana, obviously, for people that are real drivers, is the Autobahn in Germany. And sure. I, I'll be honest, <laughs> I've never driven on it, but I know plenty of people that have. Um, you know, we don't believe that you don't have laws. Obviously, you have laws, but we believe in laws that... that um, that gather compliance from the reasonable majority, the safe majority. 
you don't want to be making lawbreakers out of the majority. And the mm -hmm. speed limits in British Columbia in many cases do. There, is, there are highways in BC where we know that 70% of the drivers disobey the posted speed limit. Right. I mean, if you talk to anyone on the Portman Freeway Patrol, for example, they'd tell you, I'm not pulling anyone over for going 15 over because that's how fast everyone's going. Right. <laughs> so, so, so why don't we up the speed limit? Right. It seems so obvious. But they, they didn't do that. Um, they did do... Um, I think it was Judith Reed was the transportation minister. They did do a speed limit review and a study, and then they never released the findings. And I met with Judith in, I think, 2002, 2003, private meeting with her and said, look, what, what's going on with this? Why don't you release the findings? And she said, well, because I knew what the findings were. I mm -hmm. knew that they'd found out exactly what we already knew, which was the speed limit should go up. And they just didn't have the balls to do it. They just didn't want to do it. She told me point blank that um, uh, that Martin Parker Jr., who did the speed limit review, said to her after the fact, you know what you've got to do, but if you do it, you're going to be responsible for the first person that dies on the highway, yeah. and it's going to be all on you. But what, like, what do you say to that? Because obviously common sense in physics, the faster you're going, the more likely somebody is going to be severely injured if you hit them. So what do you say to those people who bring that up? Well, right. So it's true. The faster you go, the more damage you do. That is true. But what's what's counterintuitive is the idea that, uh, you know, all all objects moving at roughly the same speed or, or at an agreed speed are you know, they're less likely to have the crash in the first place. So right. our view is that what you've got to do, as long as you don't have autonomous vehicles, and as long as we all have the transportation system that we have today, we've got to train good drivers to make good decisions, to be responsible citizens, and then we've got to turn them loose on the roads and allow them to do those and uh, do those things. And, yeah. you know, traveling at a safe speed is the best you know, is, is the domain of the person behind the wheel. Right. It's kind of like how I think some of the autonomous car companies are training the cars in some circumstances to break the law a little bit because everybody else is doing it and it's actually safer for the car. Well, um, that's news to me. Oh, and really? That's, yeah. No, I haven't oh, really, okay. I haven't really paid a lot of, <laughs> I haven't paid a lot of attention to the autonomous cars, you know, and actually, honestly, Kyla, coming in here to talk to you because you say, you know, you say, well, um, you know, you said you're happy to meet with me. I'm always happy to meet with you because I have so much respect for what you do. And I think oh, you know nice. a lot more than I do. So I don't pay attention to autonomous okay. cars right now. <laughs> They're a long way away from taking over our roads, I hope, because that will be the end of my job. Yeah. And I like, and personally, I like driving. You know, when I'm behind yeah. the wheel, I like to focus on the drive and enjoy the drive. Yeah. And a lot of people do uh, feel that way. And a lot of people feel that, and I'm not saying you're in this group, but there are people out there, we've seen the examples, like the guy who was recently convicted after going 220 kilometers an hour over the Lionsgate Bridge. You're obviously not supporting driving like that. No, and you know, the difficulty is when, you, when you're when you seen as, uh, some people view us as speed advocates, that's right. not what we are. You know, we're just sensible driving advocates, and I'm not suggesting that anybody drive at excessive speeds anywhere, uh, or speeds are inappropriate for conditions or, uh, yeah. you know, places. There are places yes. where it's suitable to go fast. And yeah, obviously not safe to do that no. on the landscape bridge. Exactly. <laughs> 
Especially not the Lionsgate Bridge. No. Um, you're going to run over a jumper, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, then he'll get what he wants. So, um, okay, that was morbid. Um, but you you don't just um, do speed-related advocacy. You look at all sorts of different traffic laws. And one thing that you guys have been very vocal about has been the left lane laws. Right. So uh, along with uh, trying to keep uh, the flow of traffic... Uh, is the idea that there should be some lane discipline. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, all of us have driven in other jurisdictions and seen how well-behaved some drivers are in some countries. It's so nice when you go down, like, just to Seattle, and everybody's really respectful there. Well, actually, I used to feel that way about Washington State. I don't feel that way anymore. Driving to Seattle on the I-5 is a gong show lately. I don't know what's been going on there, but... um, (laughs) You know, there are other places in Europe for sure. The the mm-hmm. English, I mean, there's no question. They've got lane discipline. And, you know, where where I think we're missing out here, and I think the government has a lot to do with this because they've created this kind of confrontational environment instead of encouraging uh, people to behave like they're on the same team on the roads, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I'm driving, I try and help all the people around me because I know that if I help them get to their destination, we're all going to get there you know, safer and easier, right? And faster too. So, um, you know, lane discipline has uh, a lot to do with that. Understanding that, you know, people behind you might not, um, you know, appreciate you sitting in the left-hand lane on the highway. (laughs) And certainly when they get upset or frustrated and they start start doing things like overtaking on the inside and then passing again in front. Yeah, or um, riding your tail, which is the most dangerous thing, I think. And, you know, the the focus of the provincial government, the RCMP, obviously, is to go after the people that are exceeding the limit because that's where the money is. That's where most of the tickets are issued. Yep. And it's a lot easier to prove a speeding ticket than it is to prove that you didn't move over to allow traffic to it's pass. It's super. It's, it's the low-hanging fruit to go after yeah. those people. But the real sociopaths and idiots on the <laughs> highways are these people that sit in the left-hand lane. And actually, study after study, or, or sorry, poll after poll says that those drivers including the last uh, speed limit review that was done in British Columbia, all the people that responded, or many of the people that responded, said those people pose some of the biggest danger on the road. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'd been lobbying for years, or we'd been lobbying for years. We got Kevin Falcon to agree to put keep right except to pass signs. So they replaced all the slower traffic keeps right because mm-hmm. we explained to them that nobody's slower. Nobody no. sees themselves <laughs> as slower. It's all relative. Well, I'm going the speed limit. So if they want to go slower, they can. Right. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I, I drive plenty fast enough. I drive five mm-hmm. kilometers an hour over the speed limit. So I'm fast, you know, or I'm faster. But uh, keep right except to pass signage was put up. But there was no legislation to enforce it, and there was certainly no agreement from the police to go out and enforce it, and there was no publicity around it. So we spent years banging our heads against the walls. There were successive uh, ministers of transportation in there that really didn't give a shit about driving. You could tell. Um, you know, I put Shirley Bond in that category. Um, and and she, d- she gave a shit about driving when it came to her role initially in administering the IRP scheme, right. and that's about it. Yeah, and, and you know, she was not a lawyer. She, you know, I, I tried many times to meet with her and was shunned. I was, you know, thoroughly pissed off with her, actually. Um, mm. But then there was, um, you know, other people that should have known better, like Mike DeYoung, uh, who was the Solicitor General for a while, uh, and also 
uh, reportedly a you know a bit of a driver himself and a guy <laughs> that should know better lives in the valley yep. you know he was also responsible for the IRP um, went away to India while it was all being done and then um, you know again another guy I tried to get a hold of that wouldn't give me a hearing but um, finally this young guy shows up you know in Christy Clark's cabinet uh, Kev, um, sorry Todd Stone and uh, he seems to be singing from the same songbook that we were. And mm -hmm. he actually did something. He went out and he did something for drivers. He passed Keep Right Except to Pass legislation, uh, promoted it. And I'll tell you, the first, I don't know if you experienced this, but the first drive I took on the Coquihalla Highway after the 120 speed limit increase and the Keep Right Except to Pass signage was the best drive I ever had on that highway. You know, I didn't actually think about it at the time, but now thinking back, I had far less stressful drives on the Coquihalla Highway after, after. that. Yeah, after. Here, here I am giving credit to the Liberal government for doing something. Yeah. Well, never thought I'd see the day. Well, it's funny. <laughs> you and Paul, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, you know, it was really, really quite amazing. And, and my first drive was to a, a conference in Kelowna at the Grand, and some of the people there knew that I'd had something to do with it. I actually wrote that that um, that legislation and really? gave it to them. Yeah, okay. I, I, I cribbed it off the uh, the Washington State right. okay. uh, Motor Vehicle Act. But um, you know, the other thing that we did was I was on a trip down to Nevada, and uh, I noticed that all when you came to the passing lanes. Do you remember in BC when you came to a passing lane, it would open up into two lanes. The dotted line went right down the middle, mm -hmm. and generally drivers would just keep. They'd stay in the left hand lane. They just keep driving up yep. there, and everybody would overtake on the inside. Well, I was down in Nevada, and I noticed that they painted those lines off to the right-hand side. So I watched all the behavior on the roads, and everybody went right. And I thought, well, mm -hmm. that's clever. It's pretty simple. So I took a bunch of photos. I sat down with the ministry guys before, um, before the legislation was passed and showed them the pictures and said, what do you think of this? And they said, huh, we've never seen that before. And I went, really? And they said, no. I said, well, can you do it? Sure, we can do it. So they, they did it. And I saw that on the Malahat the yeah. last time I was driving up there. I thought, oh, this is new. It's but so it's, simple. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah, simple things like that. And, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, we, we talk about hitting people with a sledgehammer where fly swatters are needed. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many subtle things you can do to change driving behavior. You know, it doesn't have to be a cop on the side of the road with a laser gun and a stupid speed limit. You know, it can be sensible speed limits. It can be, you know, um, marked inducements on the roads, like lines painted a certain way. Engineering can change behavior. Education can change behavior. There's so much they can do. Okay. Do you still feel that people are abiding by that keep right except to pass? Or do you think the effect of it, sort of the announcement effect, has worn off? I, I feel uh, anecdotally that the announcement effect has worn off a little bit. However, I still feel overall that people in BC are better than they are on, on Washington State roads in general until okay. you start getting into the highly congested areas where everybody's fighting for, for right. space no matter in, what. In which case you can't really keep right or left anyway because yeah. you're just there yeah. in the crawl <laughs> and and that's specified also in the legislation because you know below 80 you know you don't have to stay yeah you don't have to stay right but and i remember reading in the hansard that was such a big concern for a lot of the 
um, MLAs. They, a lot of them were referencing the Colwood crawl in Victoria and saying, mm. like, how are we supposed to drive like that in the crawl when you can't get into a lane because everybody's bumper to bumper? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, they, they always, it's funny how legislators always come up with all the reasons why something can't be done. And yeah. I heard all the excuses for 15, 20 years, you know, until somebody finally said, no, we can do that. You know, that's the, the beautiful thing about Todd is he said we can do it and he did it. And right. I got to thank him for that. Okay. Um, and you've also been outspoken about the electronic device right. regulations. Right. And I think there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Uh, the government has said at one point that they're considering an immediate roadside prohibition for use of an electronic device. Where do you stand on that? Well, where I stand on that is, and I know I'm talking an awful lot, Kyla, and I apologize. Oh, no, I want but let's you just to. <laughs> back up just for a second. Uh, I think that the penalty point system needs a thorough overhaul. You, yes. you know, it doesn't, uh, there is no empirical safety foundation to it. it th- th- some of the, the points make no rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. You know, you get two points for driving over a freshly painted line, and you get two points for running a red light. Yeah, um, running a red light. A lot more dangerous. Right. So the the penalty points are there to track who the bad drivers are. They should be there. Mm-hmm. And they should have a relationship to the amount of risk that's posed on the road. So um, the... God, I have forgotten again where I was going with this. I was We so were talking tired. about cell phones, but yeah. I actually really like this discussion of okay. penalty points. So, so where I was going with this is that cell phones, um, you know, nobody's advocating that cell phones should be... Uh, used while people are driving. I'm not advocating that. Right. But what, I, what I'd like to see is uh, proof that cell phones are causing the problem that the provincial government says that they are. You and mean you don't just believe them when they say No, I don't believe them no? when they say anything anymore. <laughs> and as a result of this work, by the way, right. you know, this is really what's you know, fueled a lot of contempt and cynicism on my part. When I, when I read stuff in the paper, and I, because I've dealt with the reporters, and I just see how sloppy things are, I, I mistrust everything now. Yeah. But uh, a guy came out of the woodwork, as so often the case for our group over the years. You know, lots of people come and go, but, um, you know, some of them do stick around. And one of them that stuck around was a guy by the name of Derek Lures. And Derek is super bright. Yes. He, he loves, he's like a, a road safety nerd, and he <laughs> loves doing research on weekends, at night. And w- the thing that stuck in his mind, because he looked into this himself, is that the government is lying, and ICBC are lying about the effects of cell phone use. They've yep. got lots of studies to say that cell phone use causes cognitive distraction, but there is no proof that it's causing the crashes that they claim that, right. that, that and they're causing. There's a way more than just your cell phone that causes cognitive distraction. Right. Leave there's your house after having an argument with your wife, cognitive distraction. Child in the back of the car, pet on the lap, drinking coffee. I mean, there's oh, all kinds of stuff. Oh, my dog is a huge distraction right. when I'm driving. And, and so, you know, and I could get, uh, you know, sidetracked on that discussion as well, which I won't. But I, I you know, I like to talk about trying to... Uh, you know, create a culture of attention on the road, you know, driving mm-hmm. with purpose and that kind of thing. So maybe more enforcement of the, or education or awareness of the drive with due care and attention right. provisions? Yeah. But let's just get back to the cell phone thing. So, okay. the, yeah. this, the, you know, Derek was really, really upset about this. And we, we met a number of times and we thought, you know, if we, if we start talking about this, 
people are we're going to lose a portion of our support you know people are automatically going to oppose us you know lots of people support us because they they support our view about speed limits but every time you come up with another issue you lose a certain segment of your of your support and we thought well let's just leave this one alone we kind of know that it's 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 not right but derek was insistent so every once in a while somebody called up from the media wanting a comment about cell phones we put derek in front of him and say mm-hmm. you know you can talk about your affiliation with us but just say it's your own thing right but then <laughs> you guys you and paul came up with your you know your own um uh, conclusions about uh, cell phone distraction. The coroner's data. Right. You actual use the cor- data. <laughs> right. Actual data, objective data, because we love objective data. And we thought, you know what? You're right. We just got to tell the truth. You just got to put it out there. And the truth eventually, hopefully, prevails and people figure it out. We're not supporting people driving distracted. That's not what we're doing. We're just saying, if you're going to put that out there as your reason for putting out legislation and clobbering people the way that they're proposing, at which it includes you know, police standing behind, uh, you know, telephone poles at red lights when people yeah. aren't moving. Well, you better have a damn good reason to do that. And that's my big beef with the cell phone offense is you get four points. It's a high-risk offense. Um, it, it triggers all these different fines and penalties beyond just what's printed on the face of the ticket. And the tickets are issued in such a huge spectrum of circumstances, from the guy, you know, doing the pancake hold, talking while he's driving one hand on the wheel, who deserves to be ticketed to the guy who you know taps his phone at a red light to change his song on itunes right and that's i I mean how can you say that those two things are the same type of risk right and 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 so this goes back to what i was uh, you know sort of referring to earlier that you need to train drivers to be responsible and make the responsible decisions. Micromanaging people is Mm -hmm. never going to work. You don't create... Gary Farrow Collins with the BC Liberal Caucus years and years ago said something to me which has always stuck with me. And he said, we believe or I believe that you never make a law unless, first of all, you have the A, the ability to enforce it, and B, the intention to enforce it. And... Well, they have the intention to enforce the cell phone law. Right, but they don't have the ability. Right? Well, not in and, a sensible way. You know, no, if you're going to put a the... cop on every corner and you're yep. going to, you know, have all spend all kinds of money on snooping devices <laughs> and you're going to invade everybody's privacy the way they're, you know, they're starting to anyway. The snooping um, devices are such a huge charter infringement. Could be. Yeah. You would know more about that than me. Maybe. <laughs> Derek, I think I, I want to tell you this hilarious story about Derek because I, one night late in the evening, somebody was getting into it on Twitter with me about something I'd said about distracted driving and, you know, advocating basically for killing women and children and babies and dogs and you're a horrible person type thing. And he and Derek went all night. I went to bed. I woke up in the morning. They were still at it. I had like 400 <laughs> notifications. My God, did these people not sleep? And by, uh, by around 11 o'clock that morning, they had like come to a point of agreement. In okay, I was involved way. in that. I think yeah, I, I think was you got involved dragged in that. Into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it's so funny. But that that is one of the few people actually, that that particular person, I don't remember who it was, but he's one of the few people that was willing to at least have a discussion and entertain yeah. a debate. You know, social media as you know is just it's it's descended into this horrible sort of <laughs> If I know, don't like what you say, I'm posting a Rihanna GIF yeah. and that's the end. Oh my God. <laughs> But yeah, it was kind of nice to have that discussion. Now, you know, you, we have plenty of discussions with people that don't agree, right? Yeah. And But Derek is so good at 
you know, so patient. He really is. Like, <laughs> I'm not, not that good. No, me like, neither. I could learn from him. I really could. He's fantastic that way. I got to give him credit. Yeah, he's uh, he's really great. Yeah. So if you could rewrite the cell phone law because you wrote the left lane law, how would you how would you do it? What would you do to make it better? I mean, I assume that one day Mike Farnworth might listen to this. And <laughs> well, honestly, I don't think Mike Farnworth listens to anything. No, That's another so. another conversation altogether. Yes. Um, I, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I wouldn't have a, a cell phone specific law. I would leave right. it the way it was. There was a, um, a you know, without due care and attention uh, yep. law. And there's also a provision for driving with the controls obstructed. So if right. you're using your phone actively while you're driving, it falls under that. You know, the, the police always want more legislation just so that they have, you know, ultimate control. And, and I don't blame them for that, but... Um, you know, and there are cases where when things are left too sort of subjective that they are open to abuse and, and obviously people will fight them and then they don't get convicted. But um, I, I think that it would be far better if they kind of left it the way it was and trained the police properly in terms of what to look for. Right. And then started a, you know, an education campaign for people, you know, and you can make it socially unacceptable to do, you know, irresponsible things when you're drive. And, and peer pressure is sometimes enough for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, if yeah. you feel like something is... I mean, the, the hugest decline that we've seen over the last 50 years when it comes to impaired driving hasn't been enforcement. It hasn't been the consequences. It's been... Our, social stigma. Our, exactly. Yeah. Our changing social attitude. The, yeah. the, the thing that people who come to me are most scared about is what other people will right. think of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's highly underrated, that, that element. And the bureaucratic mindset and, of course, the law enforcement mindset I don't think mm-hmm. really appreciates it, but I, I really am convinced that, you know, the majority of people respond to that. There's always the, the element that won't respond to it and are antisocial and psychopaths and everything else. But I, I think we, we need to be, and this is the reason our name originally was Sense, sorry, Safety by Education, not Speed Enforcement, with the emphasis on education. I never knew it was an acronym. Well, <laughs> well it, it was an acronym. I sat around one night with my roommate with a glass of wine, and we were coming up with all these different names. But that's what it was. But now great. we just call ourselves Sense BC. But the education part of it, mm-hmm. we really believe that if people here would, you know, just actually, all you'd have to do is just travel outside of Canada and see the way they drive in Europe. That yeah, would be a good travel, start. Travel outside British Columbia yeah. to our next door neighbor in Alberta, um, who I know is public enemy number one right mm. now. But in Alberta, their point system is very different. Mm. You know, you get points for a traffic offense, but you can do educational courses and have those points taken off your record. So it uses that sensible aspect of education. But aren't they some of the worst left lane hogs in in North America coming (laughs) from Alberta? I don't know. I don't drive enough in Alberta. Although every time I get behind a car from Alberta, they're going exactly the speed limit in the left lane. And it's very annoying. Yeah. I always actually, when I'm driving in the left lane, I always imagine that you're behind me. Oh, yeah. Good. (laughs) I think that's what people should do. Just imagine Ian Tootle is behind them. You don't want him to see you. left lane <laughs> well there was a guy on the on the sea to sky highway last week and uh he was he was driving a car with a, a temporary permit on it and the car was kind of weaving a little bit it looked like it really wasn't safe to be on the road at oh, the no. speed limit and he sat in the left lane every time every time one of those lanes opened up he he pulled out into the passing lane and and i will not tailgate somebody i just won't do that but i will use my horn and yeah. i will flash yeah and so 
after I, I pulled into, I think, the second uh, area where I could pass him on the Sea to Sky Highway, of course, he pulled into the left-hand lane again, and I leaned on the horn. I've got an F-150 in it. Oh, God, it that was blared. <laughs> And he pulled over right away, to his credit. Now, I oh, overtook good. him. I looked in my mirror, and what did he do? He pulled right back into the left lane oh, again. Man. So, <laughs> pulled into Squamish. Who shows up next to me at the at the intersection but he this driver? So I rolled down my window and I and I politely said, "You know that you're like a rolling roadblock on that road. Everybody's passing you on the right. Why can't you just stay right? Why do you need to be in the left-hand lane?" He goes, yeah. "Oh, okay, sorry." And oh. then I rolled up my window and he gave me the finger. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, as soon as your window's up, as soon as as soon as there's no risk, you're a crazy person with a gun. Window's yeah. up. And... Well, actually, I laughed. I rolled down the window and I laughed and I said, w w "Why is that necessary? I'm trying to help you out here, and that's what you do to me." And he goes, "Okay, old timer." And that oh, was his, that oh, was his ad hominem oh, for okay. me. That was well, pretty funny. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's lovely. Yeah. People are very rude on the roads, and I don't think they have to be. I once. And they want you, they're rude when they want you to do something where they want to do something that's not safe. Like, that's what I find the worst in people on the road comes out. Um, I mean, my biggest story about this is I was stopped at a red light, traffic was backed up, the woman behind me wanted to get into the left turn lane, and there wasn't enough room to get past my car. I inched forward to as close as was safe to the car in front of me. She still couldn't get by. So she starts laying on the horn. And I'm like unrolling my window and yelling at her. It's not safe. I'm not getting any closer. You can wait. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's the same with social media. You know, if you're if you're anonymous, you know, or semi-anonymous, mm -hmm. hiding behind a, you know, a, a windshield that's slightly tinted or something. It's amazing what people will do when they think that their their action is or their their identity is a little bit hidden. It's just amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, so last question, because you brought it up, and now I'm interested. What would you do to replace the point system? Because I know they're thinking of an overhaul, well, or so um, they say. Well, so that brings up another point for me, point. Um, <coughs> I, I really dislike the way insurance companies screw drivers. Mm -hmm. And private insurance, to me, has been a bad experience. It, it was a bad experience originally in B.C., it wasn't a good experience in Ontario, and it was a, a bad experience for me in California because, and this and this is kind of the root of my issue with um, uh, the speed enforcement in BC. The insurance companies love speeding tickets because it gives them the opportunity to boost your premium by you know 40, 50 percent. Right. Go to California and tell them you've got two moving violations in five years. Watch your premium go up by 40 or 50 percent. So it's no surprise that they uh, oppose the 55 mile an hour man mandated limit increase in the U.S. They fought it for years and years, said all hell would break loose if the limits rose. Well, <laughs> it hasn't. No. Nope. Um, <clears throat> the God, I God, I forgot my train of thought again. Points. This is awful. People are going to think I have some sort of dementia when they listen to this. So, yeah, come on, old timer. <laughs> yeah. So the the points, um, the. The penalty point system, I think, works if they correctly define the risk associated with the infractions and they, you know, and they attach points to those so that they can track who the bad drivers are. And right. that would, you know, that's an appropriate way, I think, to raise premiums. But the problem is in BC, what they want to do is they want to issue a, a driver point uh, premium 
uh, or a risk premium. Mm -hmm. They want to give you a bill for your points, and they want to hike your insurance. And right? prohibit you. Right. They want to have their cake and eat it too. And there is no there is no evidence that the things that they're nicking you for are are really producing any more risk on the road in some cases, in many cases. Yeah. So I'd like to see that system completely overhauled. They've got the data. ICBC knows this information. You're on our website now, we, we haven't been as diligent in updating our website as we used to be, mm -hmm. but um, we do have a, um, a, a spreadsheet there or a chart there or a graph that was drawn up having obtained the data from ICBC back in the mid-90s. And it showed that speeding, actually, the, the offense of speeding over the limit was about number 10 on, on the... Oh, interesting. You know, as far as risk went for future at-fault crashes. It might be, you know, as they're rolling out this e-ticketing, it might be possible to associate the number of points, like have a range of points for any given offense, and then associate the number of points to the actual conduct. Because now with the e-tickets, the officers have to write their notes in this e-ticketing system at the time. So ICBC gets this report with the officer's notes. They have some idea of what happened. Obviously, the person has the right to dispute the ticket in court, but if they pay it, if they admit responsibility, then the points can be assessed on the basis of what they did and how unsafe that was. Yeah, but I think it can be simpler than that. I think they can just look at what, uh, you know, what infractions are known to uh, correlate with, you know, at-fault crash risk, right? Right. So it could be much more, I think, more objective than that. I mean, so what you're talking... More, more points for making an unsafe left turn. And right. Yeah. Uh, more points for impeding traffic in the left-hand lane, regardless of the speed you're doing. You know, mm -hmm. if you're the odd person out, you've got to help. They're using that stupid helicopter for nicking speeders. Why can't they just sit <laughs> up in the, you know, on, in the helicopter and look down below and they see one car and there's 10 or 20 cars behind it then you and know. it's in the left-hand lane? And you're usually, if you're over. in the line or, of 10 or 20 behind it, you know there's that one car you can see it. You, you, you go can around see the bank it. and you're like, who is that asshole? Exactly. <laughs> you can see that guy from miles away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your insight Um your organization, how does it get funding? Do you take donations? We don't have any funding. You don't do any no. funding. It's no, all just, it's just volunteerism. It's a, it used to be a, a not-for-profit uh, uh, society, mm -hmm. and we used to have our AGMs and file our returns and do accounting and everything else. It was just too much too, trouble because we didn't take in enough money. Yeah. And uh, so, really, it's just kind of a labor of love. We, we operate a website. And we have a Facebook page and a Twitter feed. Okay. And mainly our outbound communication is via Facebook and Twitter. That's where the conversation's held. So if you're listening to this, it's at SenseBC on Twitter and it's uh, SenseBC on Facebook. Um, like us and follow us. That would be great. Definitely do that. Yeah. I recommend it. Even if you don't agree with what the people at SenseBC say, uh, it's good for... A, knowing what other people have to say in the conversation and looking at data related to traffic safety. They're doing a lot of good work and uh, everybody should be very thankful that they're doing this on a volunteer basis. So a big thank you to Ian Tutil for joining me on the podcast. This is Kyla Lee with Acumen Law Corporation and this has been another episode of Driving Law. Next week, we'll talk again with Paul Doroshenko and we'll talk a little bit more about cannabis impaired driving laws.